Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 5 of The Drunken Storyteller, where me, your erstwhile host, drinks and tells folk tales, myths and legends from all over the world. Um, there will be some waffling and inexpert random commentary and discussions with myself and my two hosts that I've got here, Humpert, uh, Humphrey Bogger and Krampus, uh, and I will try to regale you with stories that I have chosen from throughout the world. Um, I've researched them, put them together in a rather haphazard way to create this little podcast. Uh, Today's episode, um, to go with the theme of blood in a way, I have chosen myself a nice little uh, red wine to have a tipple. As a tipple, I was thinking of maybe having some Bloody Marys, but that's a little bit expensive, so uh, I'm not. Uh, not wanting to buy expensive alcohol because I'm a cheapskate. Uh, I just went for a, a, a bottle of red wine. But me being also the classy little man that I am, uh, I'm drinking it out of a gin glass. It's quite a large glass, so should last me for most of this. So um, what will we be talking about today? What stories will I be talking about today? I am going to be looking at, well, if you've kind of seen the title of this, um, it's going to be Vampires. Yay! <laughs> Evilness and all that kind of stuff. So I'll be telling uh, tales of horror and blood-drinking nasties from two different regions of the world. Uh, kind of regions that we wouldn't usually associate vampires with, I suppose. So the first tale uh, I'm going to tell is kind of funny, in a way. Um, and it's a tale that uh, some believe is one of the origins of the story of Dracula from by Bram Stoker. Uh, this is a somewhat controversial idea, I'm guessing, um, as it has nothing at all to do with Vlad the Impaler or anything to do with Transylvania and Hungary and, and that area of the world. The second one involves a little bit of bouncing. Where am I? Uh, I've got a little bit of a new setup at the moment, so I'm kind of trying to work out how to do this. So... Uh, what are we now? So anyway, I'm going to do a little bit of a waffle um, first. I'm going to try and keep this episode shorter as well, as my last couple of episodes have run up to like 50-odd minutes or so. I'm going to try and keep them a little bit shorter. So, uh, waffle time. Uh, so this is only going to be a very, very short bit um, of something that I found quite interesting when I was looking up vampires. Um, it's kind of like where, where the term vampire actually comes from. The word itself is not that old as far as i can tell and it it stems from eastern european roots surprise surprise as um that's kind of where we expect vampires to be from so it's thought to come from multiple slovak or slavok variants possibly thought to mean witch um, so you've got and i'm going to apologize about the pronunciation of these these are old eastern european words that I don't actually know how to pronounce but I've got them written down here so I'm going to attempt it. So you've got the Polish Vipur, the Belarusian Vipir, the Ukrainian and Russian Vipir, the Bulgarian Vapir 
and the Hungarian and Serbian Vampir. There's also the Old Church Slavonic, or Puli. So I apologise about these. I don't speak any Slavic or Silyric languages or have any knowledge in how to pronounce them. So that's just me guessing how to pronounce them. Um, so I apologise to anybody out there who has heard those and has just screamed at the, their, their podcast and gone, No! That's awful! Please stop butchering our language. So I apologise about that. But yeah, so from these, uh, we get the German word vampire. is very similar to the Hungarian and Serbian word vampire. And so it then comes to England via France to become the word that we know of vampire. Um, the first apparent... And this is me saying apparently, and I say it's a lot in here. Apparently, the first the first recorded use of the word in English is from the 16th century. Uh, from, I thought it was probably going to be the 17th or 18th century, um, so that date might be wrong. Uh, from a uh, 16th, in quotation marks, uh, police report in Austria, where the, there's some local villagers who complain about a vampire sucking their blood, I guess. So... Um, but there are tales of blood-sucking, night-walking, undead, plague-bringers and things all over the British Isles, uh, dating back to at least the 12th century. So even though the, the, the kind of modern idea of a, a vampire comes from Eastern, Europea, Eastern Europe, we do have these things within the UK and there are some really kind of cool vampire stories and and kind of urban tales, well, not urban tales, but um, myths and lore and folklore and stuff about them within the UK. Um, and I'll look at more of those kind of later, uh, maybe on other episodes. But today, uh, oh no, hang on. No, uh, so today, no, we're not doing that bit. The term, so what the term actually originally meant. So apparently in the 18th century, so 1700s or so, the term apparently meant person who preys on another. Vampires do prey on other people. They prey on other people to drink their blood. And I'm guessing it kind of all kind of evolved from that. But as I say, this is very inexpert. And this was me kind of looking at things. I've not had much time to plan this this week. So that's why this is kind of a bit rushed and a bit weird and a bit odd. And maybe some of the, the, the things that I'm saying are not exactly true. Um, so I do apologise. If they are complete and are crap, please do let me know. And I will endeavour to correct it in another episode and let people know um, that I'm an idiot. Anyway, drink. I don't know whether this is coming through as ASMR drinking or not. Whoa. Mmm, blood. So, right. On with our first tale. So the first tale uh, is actually a story from Ireland. So I am keeping it in the British Isles for the first story. Um, we're going over across the waters to Ireland. And it comes from a 19th century book called The Origin and History of Irish Names of Places by a P. Joyce. So this sounds like an absolutely thrilling book to read. Sounds like the kind of thing you'd want to have just before you go to bed because it sounds so enthralling it'll just put you to sleep. The book, the, the bit in the book is actually not that long. It's only a couple of lines long and the doesn't, actually, doesn't 
talk about the blood drinking nature of of this creature this that the story goes on about um but if you kind of delve a little bit deeper there's um more kind of the traditional spoken word versions of the folktale floating around now on the internet where people have i suppose embellished the story and taken it from their their ancestors and things and retold the story and this is that story um i've obviously embellished it in my own way um as i do with most of these stories uh, and made it a little bit weirder and i i draw my my story from these kind of spoken word um tales rather than the book and so here we go this is the story of Abatak, the Irish Dwarf Vampire. I apologise about my pronunciation again, because um, Abatak is an old Irish word that apparently means dwarf. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologise, and there's other Irish words in here that I'm going to get wrong, so I apologise about that as well. Um, I should probably stop trying to say words that I can't. Anyway, on with the story about an Irish Dwarf Vampire. There was once an evil chieftain who ruled the lands in the 5th century. His name was Abatak, a practitioner of the dark arts, reportedly small of stature, and not particularly popular. To be honest, he was a bit of a git by all accounts. Not just an evil man, he was also jealous, suspecting his wife of having an affair. So, doing what any self-respecting evil wizard chieftain would do, he spied on her. So one night he uh, climbed out of his window of his castle uh, to try and snoop around the corner to her window and catch her in the act of said affair. Now, being, I suppose, of a smaller stature and probably a little bit drunk, Dutch courage and all that, as you saw in the last episode about dragons, like people like to have a bit of a drink before they do something silly, like fight a dragon or go look in on your wife having an affair um he slipped on the wet wall and promptly fell to his death what a shame evil wizard man died the following morning his body was found by his people who had let's say let's say they had a little they had a little dance and a little jig over his corpse they were a little bit happy about it um obviously they did first check to make sure that he was actually dead uh, maybe taking a bit of an extra poking with a sharp sword or something just to kind of, you know, make sure it's like, Oi, Abatak, you are dead, aren't you? You're not going to get up and be more of an arsehole to us, are you? No, no, you are dead. Cool. Right. So once the celebrations had died down and they kind of realised, actually, no, he, he was their lord, so maybe we should bury him and give him a little bit of respect. So, yeah, they buried him standing upright in his grave as befitted his status. So, yeah, he was standing in his grave because um, that's apparently what you do to to village chieftains in those days so unfortunately uh, for the villagers all was not as it seemed obviously because he was an evil wizard chieftain bloke never going to be as what he seems for although Abatak was dead and buried he decided to come back and pay the village a visit the day after his burial he marched up to the villagers demanding they fill his bowl with their own fresh blood drawn from their wrists so that he might drink and be healthy. Through sheer terror the people obeyed, though some did manage to contact another local chieftain by the name of Catherine, and begged him to slay the evil blood drinker. Now I've written down a name here, um, and it's in Gaelic. Uh, 
I don't know what it means, but it was in those sources that I that I found, and I'm no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not. It's it's one of those things where you've got M's and B's next to each other, and I don't know the pronunciation of those, so I'm not going to say that. But yeah, so um, the villagers had buried their their lord, uh, and and then he decided to just kind of waltz up the next day, going, "Now nah, I'm not dead, but because you buried me, uh, I want to drink your blood. Fill up this bowl for me so I can have a drink." Obviously, that would be a bit scary. And so, yeah, they went off and, and spoke to this bloke called Catherine. So Catherine agreed and, and waited in ambush for Abatak. Um, he slew the evil vampire dwarf and buried him upright again. As you would do. Nothing, nothing wrong with trying again, is there? So, Unfortunately, however, vampires are tenacious little buggers, especially this one. And as we know, they're always hungry, so... The very next day, he was back in his village again, with his bowls, asking them to be filled with blood to sake his hunger. Catherine was obviously not happy about this. he just killed the bloke and buried him. So how dare the man he just killed come back to life and ask for more blood? It's like, dude, dude, you're dead. Stay dead. So once again, he went out and he, he killed the evil vampire dwarf wizard and, and buried him in a remote grave, again, standing upright. Because he's still a chieftain, so he still deserves that little bit of respect. Not quite sure why you give people respect for, for this, but whatever. But yeah, guess what? Rule of three. So he's not dead yet. Next morning comes around, comes up calling. Somehow he's managed to trudge from this faraway grave over to the village again. And yup, he's still hungry. He still had his bowl with him and he's still asking for blood. Now, Catherine, not the smartest stick in the box. Obviously, he's just tried the same thing like twice and, and failed miserably. He was a bit confused and didn't really know what to do. So um, he called to a local saint by a the name of Eohan um, for some help. Obviously, because that's what you do. It's like, well, I can't do it. So uh, these religious blokes, they probably know what they're on about, dealing with evil on a regular basis. So, yeah, he went to Eohan. Eohan listened to the tale of this evil vampire dwarf wizard blokey thing. And he contemplated and he prayed and he deliberated on what to do. After some time, he turned to Catherine and had some advice for him. Nah, due to him already being dead and the like, a normal respectful burial won't work. He can just climb right back out of that grave. Also, how do you kill a thing that is already dead? Dead things can't be killed. What an account of them being dead and all. So, what you got to do is this. He leaned in and whispered to Catherine in a decidedly conspiratorial tone and said, You've got to stab him in the heart with a sword made from the yew tree. Bury him upside down, making sure to cover his body with branches of the ash and thorns. Once the grave is full, place a large heavy stone slab over it, one so heavy that he won't be able to lift it. And that there should keep him away from ever asking for that red breakfast again. So Catherine being the good the good leader that he is, the good chieftain he is, he took on this advice and he went back to the village and, and lo and behold, guess who was there? Yeah, Abarakt was there. Abatak, sorry, was there. Uh, and so Catherine did as was instructed. Got himself a, a sword made from the yew tree, stabbed it into Ab Abatak, Buried him upside down, covered him in branches and things, and then put a massive bloody slab of stone on top of him. And uh, 
Well, it worked. Abatak was buried and no more. Now, apparently, uh, there is a place in Ireland called Chalekt Abatak, or Slaw Tabatak, a memorial stone for the cruel chieftain. It is found between the towns of Garva and Dungiven in a region called Glen Nulin, uh, or the Glen of the Eagle. Uh, apparently you can actually visit this grave, uh, but you should be a little bit aware of, be, be, be a little bit wary around it, because um, there have been some reported incidents, apparently, of people having rather bad experiences there. Couldn't find anything on what these were, but... Eh, well, it could be cold, wet, rainy days, you're walking over a, a big, big slab of stone and you fall over. Or you never know, you could be attacked by an evil vampire dwarf wizard. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So yeah, that was the story of the uh, Irish dwarf vampire wizard evil blokey thing. Um, now I'm going to go on to the second part of the podcast. This is my second tale. This one's not really a tale as I didn't really have time to... Um, actually create a tale for this or look at a specific tale i have quite a bit of information on on this because i actually did a a podcast for darker days radio where we looked at um, an rpg based upon this and i'll talk about that later at the end anyway so this is the jiangxi the chinese hopping vampire so i'm going to change things up a little bit as i say is due to lack of time um, in planning, I didn't get time to um, actually create a story or look at any specific stories relating to the Jiangxi. Though I do have um, a fair amount of background on them here that I'm going to kind of skim through and go through, so we can we can learn about them and they are kind of cool. Um, there's even a little bit of uh, I'm going to do a little bit of discussion as to kind of where the story might have arisen from and where they might have actually come from. So yeah, as I say, this is actually, uh, we're going to go to Asia for a, va- uh, a vampire from Asia. Um, this is not from Japan, so I'm actually looking at a different Asian company, company, different Asian country for once. The Jiangxi originates in China. Um, it also appears in different areas of, of Asia. So the characters for Jiangxi are apparently read as Guangxi in Cantonese, Kuongthi in Vietnamese and Gangsi in Korean. It's also known as Phi Dip Chin in Thai, Hantu Pokong in Malay, and Vampir Tsina in Indonesia. So again, as with everything, whenever I try and pronounce things that are not English or Chi- or Japanese, I'm gonna butcher the name. So I really do apologize on those. So Jiangxi translates to uh, stiff corpse, which is uh, kind of entertaining. Um, and it's an undead creature, usually depicted in the official garments of the Qing dynasty. It usually hops along, as in yes, boing boing hop hop, skibbity skip. Not so much skibbity skip, but boing boing hoppy, hopping. Uh, and when it finds its victim, it sucks out the life force of the qi from their victims, rather than the blood, which we see with usual vampires. This one is actually sucking out the life force. But I suppose in Western society, we do tend to view blood it's kind of like the life force behind ourselves. So I guess I guess you can kind of, you, you can create the, the the connection there between vampires and Jiangxi. 
one of the reasons they state that the 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 Jiangxi itself hops is because the body has become stiff with rigor mortis, so it is an undead creature. Uh, but the body has had time to become stiff with rigor mortis and is therefore unable to move its limbs properly, uh, or and it can't walk. So the only way it can kind of move around is if it, if it hops. So it can kind of move its ankles but can't bend its knees and things. Um, and like most vampires, it is active at night um, and during the day it hides either underground or in caves. They also have pale, rotten flesh, um, though that kind of depends on how long they've actually been dead. Um, they have extremely long tongs and black, sharp fingernails. So in a way, um, I've seen some places call them zombies, and I've seen some, some sites call them revenants, um, as they are undead. But it's the, the, the act of draining their chi that kind of, to me, brings them into that that vampire reign realm opposed to the 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 zombie and revenant um undead revenant realm that we have as i say i don't have stories but i've got information on them here so i'm going to kind of go through some of the information that i've got and uh i hope you enjoy this slightly different uh look at um kind of some folk tales and mythology so this is definitely more mythology and and, and tales as that that respect rather than me telling a story so I'm going, I've still got my, my bottle of red wine here. I'm going to have a quick slurp of this. So, how is a Jiangxi created? Well, according to a Qing Dynasty scholar named Ji Xiaoling, no, Ji Xiaolan, in his book called Yue Kao Tang Bizi, in 1789 to 1798, again, apologies about pronunciation, a corpse can be reanimated and classified in two categories. One of them is a recently deceased person who has been brought back to life, or the other is a long buried corpse that has not decomposed fully and been brought back to back to life. And there are a number of ways that this can happen. So, for example, we have dark supernatural arts. We have spirits possessing the dead body. The corpse is absorbing enough yang qi, as in like the yin yang kind of idea yang of that. Or when the soul fails to leave the body due to an improper death. Or basically just wants to be an ass and stick around and cause trouble. Um, there's also, <laughs> here's a fun one. Um, you, you've, you've had your funeral. Uh, the body has yet to be buried. And apparently if a pregnant cat leaps over your coffin, um, you can come back as a jiangxi. Uh, so that's a kind of fun one. Uh, pregnant cats can turn you into a hopping vampire. Uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. Um, the other way is kind of like the usual Western Western way where you are infected by another Jiangxi, um, whether that's through a bite or some other, other form there. Luckily, as well as a few ways of actually being turned into a Jiangxi, there are numerous ways of getting rid of one as well. Now, I'm not going to go through them all as there is actually quite a list here, um, but I'm going to go through the few that I kind of liked and some of the, the, the bigger ones that are looked at and kind of seen as the ways to get rid of the Jiangxi. So the first one on my list is mirrors. Um, so a mirror is like uh, the essence of liquid metal. It is dark on the external, bright on the inside. And so Jiangxi are said to be terrified of their own reflections. Kind of, we see that in Western ideas as well, where there is no, vampires don't have a reflection in mirrors. You can also have the... Uh, within the Taoist 
ideology and the idea of feng shui, you have something called the Bakwa mirror, um, which is an eight-sided mirror, and its purpose is obviously to reflect light, which uh, scares away the, the Jiangxi. A rather amusing one is apparently a rooster's call, um, scares away the, the, the Jiangxi because it obviously occurs with the rising of the sun, so we see sun, daylight, frightening off vampires. Uh, this is this is a weird one. Hooves of a black donkey. Um, now I'm not sure how real this is because I've got a note here which says it was mentioned in a fantasy novel, um, so it's probably not that true. You've got um, so here we go. Here's some more. The, the here's another unusual one actually. Uh, holding one's breath. Not quite sure how that works, but then there's uh, dropping drop, dropping. But then there's dropping a bag of coins can cause the Jiangxi to count the coins. Um, we have this again in Western vampire lore, whereas if you throw a bag of beans on the floor um, in certain myths and legends and folktales of it, uh, vampires being the fastidious little lot that they are, they, they then suddenly have to start counting things as well. Uh, what else have we got? Going back to the kind of Taoist ideas, we have you must place a thin piece of yellow paper and write out a, a spell in chicken's blood and then attach it to the vampire's forehead. Um, or you've got a, a sword charged under the light of the moon made of Chinese coins as well. You can attack them with that. What else we got? I think that's... Uh, oh, th then there's this one. And this one kind of relates to kind of the time that I'm recording this. So I'm recording this on February the 3rd. But this relates to something in Japan that happens on February the 2nd, a festival called Setsubon. But so you can apparently banish a hopping vampire or Jiangxi. Uh, you can throw sticky rice at the creature, which apparently draws out the evil within the creature and therefore makes it, I suppose, inert. Um, and Setsubon in Japan is a festival where you throw beans at oni or evil demons and ogres to kind of cast them out. So similar ideas there you're casting out evil by throwing food at them i don't i suppose so as i said um that's kind of some of the folklore behind them there is no tale that i have to tell of them i with all this information i could if i had time write a story about it or, or kind of delve more into it and actually find a real story behind it but what i have here is a little bit of information as kind of where some scholars and and academics think that this might have arisen from and some of the kind of myths behind it so these are some ideas these are not necessarily true um they are not necessarily historically accurate but these are kind of like the kind of folktale origins of the Jiangxi um kind of taken into a real life perspective so i've got two two places here that um people think that the origin might have come from and um one of them is it's thought to have come from a, a folk practice called translated to english uh, transporting a corpse over a thousand li. now i'm guessing the li here is a unit of measurement in ancient china or old china it may not be ancient but it's not something that i actually managed to get time to look at as to what a li is but anyway this is when someone has died uh, far from home and their relatives can't afford to transport the body back home for burial. So a Taoist priest would conduct a reanimate ritual on the body and teach them to hop their way home. 
I kind of like that idea. Like a terrorist, a, a priest comes along and goes, well, I'm not burying you here. Your friend, your family wants you back, so you're going to hop. I'm not going to carry you. You're going to walk your way home. But I can't be bothered to teach you how to walk properly, so I'm going to teach you how to hop because it's easier. So they were also said to only transport the bodies at night and they would ring a bell to warn people of their arrival. And it was considered bad luck for the living to set eyes upon these jiangxi, these hopping stiff corpses. So I kind of like that idea. It's kind of a little bit amusing to me. Um, but it's, it is kind of nice, in a way, that the priests would bring the bodies back to families who couldn't afford the, the traditional burials and things and actually a proper transport of it. Along the same lines, there's kind of another idea. So when someone has died again far away from home, it was believed that their their souls would become homesick if they weren't if they weren't buried back at home uh, and they were buried in unfamiliar ground. So the corpses would be arranged upright in single file and hung from bamboo poles. So rather than actually being reanimated, um, this kind of brings a bit more reality to it. So they're hung from the poles. Um, and two men would carry the poles on their shoulders. So you'd have a man at the front, a man at the back, and then a string of corpses kind of hung between them. And bamboo is quite a flexible, springy, um, I want to say wood, but it's not really wood, but a flexible, stringy plant. And so as, as the two men would walk and carry these corpses along the road, um, bamboo flexes up and down and it kind of makes it appear that the corpses were bouncing kind of in rhythm with each other and then you kind of get that hopping image coming about there as these they're, they're walking these bodies back home so there there you go um so there's a little bit of information about the jiangxi um and their, their history um there are quite a few films around nowadays from the chinese chinese movie movie scene about jiangxi um there's also a lot within chinese and korean anime as well um, and then, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the way I, I I'd heard of them before when I lived in Japan, um, and then kind of got reintroduced to them uh, through a re- recent Kickstarter run for an RB- RPG based on Jiangxi Hunters, and it's called Jiangxi Blood in the Banquet Hall uh, by a company called Wet Ink Games, and um, I actually got to interview the designers and writers for the game with a couple of the guys from the darker days radio podcast a couple of weeks uh not a couple of weeks ago maybe a couple of months ago um so i do recommend if you want to kind of find out more about the rpg and how we kind of take the uh, take a traditional folk mythology into a modern setting do go and have a listen to that and it is quite a good episode as we deal with kind of like how to deal with the uh, the ideas of bringing asian culture and folk folklore across to america and how to deal with things respectfully and stuff in that kind of sense but it is it's also a really interesting looking game very very different to kind of traditional rpgs uh i'm gonna say that's it for this episode and as i say i'm trying to keep it shorter it would have been longer if i'd actually had time to create uh, a story for the jiangxi but i kind of like just rambling on about that one there that was kind of fun Anyway, where can you find me? You can find me over on Twitter at the Drunken Store One, and Store is S T O R One, and that's the number one. Because yeah, Twitter, I'd they'd run out of things. So anyway, you can also find me over on Facebook as the Drunken Storyteller. I've got one of those little business pages over there. You can email me at the Drunken Storyteller UK at gmail.com. Uh, to send me suggestions on topics and stories and things to cover in the future. 
Uh, please do follow me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts um, and leave comments and reviews on these uh, and recommend me to friends and things. Uh, it's one of the best ways to kind of promote the podcast. I don't have many listeners and I would absolutely love to have more. I do really enjoy doing this. I know today's this episode has been a little bit weird. Um, probably not my usual upbeat kind of self. I've a little bit worn out from work and stuff. So, But again, I've enjoyed delving into the, the subject of vampires and I'll definitely go back into it again and, and kind of go a bit deeper into it. But yeah, uh, my other podcast uh, over at Darker Days Radio, we talk about horror-themed RPGs, uh, mainly focusing on the world of darkness and Chronicles of Darkness game lines. We also do a series called Dark Hammer, where we look at the Warhammer RPGs and how we can make them horror horror-themed. So there's stuff on like Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf, uh, the Apocalypse, uh, Vampire Requiem, Chronicles of Darkness, and, and we're going to do one soon on Deviant, the Renegades. So there's um. All sorts of horror-themed stuff over there. Uh, we've also just started recording, re-recording our Enemy Within campaign over at Gehenna Gaming on Twitch. Uh, we're a couple of episodes into that. The first two episodes are on YouTube, and more will come up on YouTube soon. I think we're on about episode six or seven, and we'll be recording that this Sunday, as they're actually about to head into Boggenhaf and, and have all the fun that comes with that. Also, I'm going to be running a few games for Virtual HorrorCon, which is going to be run by Gehenna Gaming um, in conjunction with Drive Through RPG, Darker Days Radio, uh, Onyx Path Publishing, who do all the Chronicles of Darkness game lines, and uh, a few other kind of big name companies there. Um, I don't have the full details yet as to when the games are or how they're going to be made, but I'm definitely going to be running three. I'm going to be running Vesson, which is a Nordic folk horror themed. 18th century-esque uh, RPG from Free League. Absolutely brilliant game. I'm not going to be basing it in uh, uh, Sweden, so I'm going to be changing things up a little bit there. I'm also going to be running a Chronicles of Darkness game uh, based in Manchester, uh, doing a God Machine Chronicle. So set in modern times, based actually in the department that I work in, um, and doing a bit of body horror, cyber weirdness with that and then i'm going to be running a warmer fantasy game which i think i'm going to be doing possibly a, a city based again something based in one of the cities of weird cults and all sorts of darkness going on there so but if you want to find out more about that go over to www.virtualhorrorcon.com to find out more info on that so yeah um, i'm kind of doing a lot of things at the moment oh Another thing that I just did, uh, yesterday I recorded a pilot episode for a friend's podcast, currently going by the name of The Last Games Night on Earth, though that may change. Um, as I say, it's a pilot episode where we take the idea of it's your last night on Earth, you've been given one last night to kind of have a games night. What games are you going to play? Who are you going to invite? living dead fantasy people what food you're going to give and how you're going to have it and it's just basically me and me and a really good friend of mine just having a, a chat about games and and things it was really good fun to do um and i hope he does actually kind of start it up as an uh, as a podcast um if it does go up i will link to it at some point later in the show notes and stuff so yeah anyway i usually i'm, I'm trying to end this with a with a specific thing which says well the drink has run dry uh, but it's really not i've not really drunk that much tonight as i say feeling a little bit worn out so i don't really want to drink too much um but yeah so all is that is left for me to say is thank you 
for listening to me and thank you to um, the people who have given me ideas to actually create this podcast and run with these ideas um, and I look forward to, to telling you more stories in the future I'm not sure what the next one's going to be I might actually do the Giants thing maybe not, I don't know um, I was tempted to do in bulk as that was a couple of days ago but anyway, we'll see we'll have something maybe next week maybe the week after Depends on work, virtual horrorcon, and all sorts of other stuff. And I'm rambling, and I probably should end this now. Um, but yeah, anyway, I really do hope you enjoyed that. Please do let me know how how well I do, and and give me some feedback and stuff. Otherwise, I'm literally just talking into a microphone, um, and nobody pays any attention. Cool. Goodbye. Uh-huh.